I pay homage to the Buddha. I pay homage to the Dhamma. I pay homage to the Sangha. Well, uh, I want to wish you uh, a happy Father's Day for the fathers that are out there. I know that we have at least a couple out here today. Um, I hope also that everyone's doing well. It's a nice day. This is a great way to spend a quiet Sunday. Uh, Me, I'm feeling okay. Uh, You might have noticed if you took a good look at me that I'm I'm sunburned. you might even be wondering how it happened, you know, the transformation from Dharma teacher to Dharma lobster. And uh, I, was, I was at a, a graduation yesterday. It was my sister's graduation. She graduated from UC Santa Barbara. And uh, it's my first time visiting the campus. It's beautiful. You know, I, I thought Cal State Northridge was big when I was a student there. And then you go to UC Santa Barbara and... It's, it's really uh, pretty amazing. And right next to the sea, I had no idea it was so close. And uh, it, was a, it was a beautiful ceremony, you know, as, as, as far as those go. And usually I, I tune out to the uh, speakers, but this time I was paying more attention to them. And uh, there were some really uh, inspiring people, not, not only the, the faculty who spoke that day, but even their, their guest speaker that they had come in, you know, and their student speaker, just uh, amazing people. And, and I was glad to be there and hear them and also, of course, to, to support my sister in, in graduating from university, which is a very big deal. And uh, in the midst of it, I got so caught up, I didn't even think to put on any sunscreen, you know. Um, I don't even have the excuse of saying that I forgot to bring any. Because my wife and I had driven up together, you know, we had packed sunscreen. I had even gone so far as to put some on her back for her. And at no point thought, yeah, maybe turn around and put some on on myself. Not at all. So I just soaked in that sun and uh, I'm feeling it a little today. And, you know, the way the, the body heals is miraculous, but sometimes very uncomfortable. Because the way the skin heals from sunburn is it gets all puffy and red and tight. And it's very uncomfortable. Uh, so it probably feels worse than it looks. And I guess that's a good thing. Uh, but because of the graduation and because of my, my sister moving out today, my father isn't getting to relax today. Or in fact, this weekend, this Father's Day weekend, he's been busy, he and my mother getting all this stuff together for the celebration. We had a big party at the park after the ceremony with like Subway and like, I think Panda Express or something like that, all, all sorts of food. And then today they're helping her move out of, out of her room and she's going to be set up somewhere else in Santa Barbara when she starts her internship. And it's all a really, really big deal. But that means that my dad, much to his character, is not resting. He's working yet again. And if you knew him, you would know that's exactly what he does. He's a very hardworking man and he always does things for, for his kids, just like this, both he and my mother. So in, in, uh, in lieu of being able to spend time with him today, I thought I would tell you some stories about him and me. Uh, most people are, are shocked to know that it's actually my stepfather that I'm talking about because he's raised me since I was seven years old. And uh, although we don't really 
look like we're related. Uh, I act just like him. I talk just like him. And, and so people often confuse us on the phone. And, uh, and it's just one of those things where there's something about us now where, you know, coworkers will see a picture of me and they don't know the story. They just know I'm, I'm his kid. And they go, you know, I can see it. He looks like you. And he rolls his eyes and says, yeah, all right. Uh, because, you know, I'm, I'm a very tall and, and big guy and, you know, not necessarily light skin, but not really dark either. And my, my stepfather is of, of Mexican descent, but he's of indeterminate eth ethnicity if you ever actually meet him. Because he's just very, very dark skinned, very tall, a lean guy. And no one knows where he's from. People are shocked to hear that he's Mexican because he is, he is, he's a chameleon, you know. Uh, African-American people meet him. They, they just swear up and down he must be African-American. Middle Eastern people meet him and they, they swear he, he must be. And after going to some Sri Lankan temples, I realized, no, actually, I think my dad looks Sri Lankan. I saw like three guys who looked just like him. And I don't know if my dad has made this connection yet. He, this whole time he thought he was Mexican. Uh, but we, we met when I, was, when I was seven years old. And I, I do have a, a biological father. Um, I've, I've seen him a few times every year my, my whole life after my parents uh, separated when I was about five or six years old. So he is a presence in my life. And we're, we're not strangers by, by any stretch, my, my biological father and I. Uh, but he, uh, you know, because of the way families sometimes separate and, and form different groups, he ended up raising my stepsister and my, my half brother. And my sister Jenna and I were raised by my mom and my stepdad, who I just call dad now. And then uh, about a year into their marriage, my half sister Ivy, the one who graduated yesterday, was born. And I just call her my sister. That's just the way it works for us, you know. And, um, the, the odd thing is my, my dad and I, uh, meaning my stepdad technically met before my mom introduced us by about five minutes or so. It was a, a school day and my, my babysitter at the time was my great aunt on my biological father's side. You know, we've kept it really mixed up. You might not be able to keep along, but I hope it's a good story anyway. And, uh, and so she was my babysitter. This is my, my paternal grandfather's sister who had moved in to be my, my babysitter, my great aunt Emma. She, she passed away a few years ago. And, uh, and so for, for some, for some reason she couldn't take me to school that day or, or walk me home. So I decided that I was going to ride my bike to and from school and you know, I'm not particularly adventurous. I'm not a risk taker. Even at that age, I wasn't. I, I don't really know how to do any tricks on my bike. But that was the day I decided to give it a shot at seven years old. I don't know why. It wasn't a smart idea. And I was about a block away from home when I decided I'm going to jump this curb. And I mostly fell off the curb and, and fell on onto the street. And, uh, as I'm getting up, I, I see this man driving and turning into the street in this, in this truck and he stops and he's watching me. I just think 
stranger danger. I mean, that's my first thought. And so I stare this guy down with the meanest look I could possibly give. Like, leave me alone as I'm picking up my bike. And I can tell that he's conflicted, but I don't know why. And he just stares for a bit, thinks better of it, and then just keeps driving. And so I ride my bike the rest of the way to the house. And it's the same guy sitting there in the living room with my mom. I couldn't believe it. And, uh, you know, I don't remember much of the conversation, but it was my chance to meet this guy. I do remember that this was the first guy my mom dated after the divorce that I actually liked. She didn't date a lot, maybe two or three guys. One guy, he tried to shake my hand the first time we met. I looked at him blankly and then walked into my room and closed the door. I never saw him again. Another guy uh, seemed nice enough, but it, it didn't really feel sincere, and I, I just didn't like him around. But this guy, for some reason, I liked, and I don't know why. Maybe there was something there. You know, we talk about rebirth in Buddhism. Perhaps there was some kind of connection there. Maybe we had known each other before. I don't know. My mom thinks so, maybe, because during that meeting, when we first met, my mom said something funny. My future dad and I both laughed in the same way and then crossed our legs the exact same way. And she cracked up laughing. And we both said, what? So maybe it was already kind of there. Now, I'm really shocked that uh, things worked out as well as they did. Not between my, my mom and my dad, because they're great together. The moment they got... Married, you know, they've been amazing. They're, for me, uh, the best example of what it means to, to be a husband and wife. They're a great team. The fact that at the age of 25, this man who had otherwise been single and alone and kind of a lone wolf, he had been in the Air Force, traveled around a lot of places, he'd become a police officer and just lived on his own. And he had a tight-knit family, but he'd been the single guy with really not a lot of serious girlfriends, definitely no kids. And he went from that to boom, wife, two kids at 25. I'm older than that now. I'm older than he was at the time. And I'm trying to wrap my head around being 25 and then having a seven and, uh, and like a, a one and a half, two-year-old. It, it's amazing. And uh, especially with me, because I was such a weird kid. Like I think the Christmas of that year, I decided I wanted to be a bird. And I asked if I could turn the Christmas tree into like a bird's nest or something after they were done with it. So I remember them dragging out the tree to the yard for me and they gave me a little saw. And I was trying to make enough room so that I can kind of, I don't know, roost. I don't know what I wanted to do. You know, I, I was a really fanciful kid. I had this big imagination. And this guy just had to deal with it. You know, I was completely afraid of the dark. I thought ghosts and monsters and aliens were after me always and i'd wake up this poor man in the middle of the night and i can i have memories of him being out on the lawn and his boxers like there's nothing out here and he was right but you know i i was really scared and he thought the the best idea would be all right we got to get this kid to stop being afraid of monsters let's rent some classic horror movies sit him down and watch right the thing is you'd think either it would work terribly and I'd be even more scared or maybe it would work and I'd be like you know what maybe it isn't so bad the other thing happened I became a horror movie fanatic he did not see that coming 
that tied with reading books on vampires where the vampires were the protagonists, boom, blew my mind as a kid. Because this was, you know, early 90s. Vampires were starting to be cool again after a while. And, uh, and so then I was vampire crazy and monster movie crazy. And I think when I was in fourth grade, I asked him with a very serious face, I'd like to play I'm a vampire. Could you please make me a coffin? And you know what? He did it. Like, I don't, I don't know why he thought that was a good idea, but I guess he thought, hey, what's the harm? And he went ahead and, and built a coffin for this kid to go sleep in when he wanted to play vampire. It's just one of the weirdest morbid things I think I was into. And, uh, and you know what? He put a lot of hard work into it, and he painted it black, and the wood had, for some reason, warped a little bit, so he put a little lock on the inside so it would close all the way. And um, I tried sleeping in it two or three times, and then I got bored, and that was the end of the, the coffin fiasco. I think we ended up using it as like a Halloween decoration after that. And for a Halloween party, I think he put some liner in it and used it as, as like an ice chest or a cooler or something like that. So it, it, it got good use, let's say. But I was, I was always getting into these, these weird things that for a guy who hadn't really thought about this stuff, he was just in shock. You know, at, at that time, my mom really hadn't had a, a religion of any kind. She had a belief in God, but not anything too serious. But then when she met my, my dad, they decided that they were going to, you know, do the whole Catholic thing. He had been raised Catholic. So she went through the conversion process, and I went along with that because I was about that time eight years old. And they thought, great, we'll just give him a little grounding in religion so he's got a sense of morality and he'll know some right and wrong, maybe have some sense of comfort. And then again, being the passionate kid I was, I went religion crazy. Not just for Catholicism, but like for every religion. I was voraciously reading things and watching documentaries. I went on this tour to, uh, I think it was the, the mission at San Juan Capistrano, and I came back and asked if I could turn my treehouse into a monastery. And my parents were very concerned about this. I think my mom in, in particular was kind of worried. She goes, I mean, what are you going to do? But candles up there, it's a tree house. It'll burn. Fair point. But for a kid that weird, surprisingly, I didn't have a lot of friends. So I didn't really have much to do in a tree house until then. You know, I, at that time, I had asked my dad once again, like, hey, build me something again. And I wanted a tree house. And he built one. But then it was just me sitting alone in a tree house. So I thought, why not a monastery? You know, I'm already kind of doing it. And, uh, and you know, uh, in, a, in a little bit, I'll, I'll, I'll get into uh, a particular sutta and, um, in that the, the Buddha talks about what it means to be a, a good son and what it means to be a good parent. And some of the things that, that we'll, they'll talk about in there, the, the Buddha was, talks about is... is how you know a parent's job is to you know dissuade a child from from evil, uh, persuade them to do good, and I think my my dad really managed to do that in spite of having this really weird kid. He's like, well, all right, he's not hurting anyone. He just thinks he's a vampire. It's fine, and he wants to go pray. That's got to be good, right? And that's fine too. But then. He would really listen to me. He would take me seriously. And that was important because when you're a weird kid and you have this active imagination, 
it's nice to know that no matter how outlandish the thing you have to say is, you've got a guy who will listen whether or not he understands it. And so even when I got a little older and I was starting to experiment with the, the occult a little bit, they were fine with that too. They wondered what the incense was about. I think the first time I lit some sage, my mom thought it was pot, which was adorable. Uh, but they were, again, okay with it. Like, well, all right, let's, let's look into what you're actually doing. And they found out that most of, of the pagan stuff that people are into is really about nature veneration. They said, you know what? That's fine. Go hug trees. It's fine. Just, you're not doing drugs. It's cool. <laughs> and, uh, and really, that's, that's probably a good way to go about making sure your kids aren't actually getting into trouble is letting them be curious about weird stuff, but making sure they're actually safe while they do it. And so I had parents who were totally fine with me dyeing my hair, and naturally, I never wanted to dye my hair. They're like, it's fine, go ahead, dye your hair any color you want. You want to? Nah, not really, I'm fine. I'm gonna read this book and go meditate. All right, kid, you have fun. You do you. And, uh, and that, that's, that's sort of how it's been. You know, I, I remember that at, at one point, um, you know, my, my thoughts started to get kind of dark. You know, you, you hang out with vampire kids and goths enough, you start to get a little depressed. And, uh, and my dad and I would start going on walks together. And that was really nice, too. For a while there, we had this tradition where in the afternoon, after we had dinner, he and I would go on a walk, and I could talk about anything I wanted to talk about. And it could be something that I had read in some book on Tibetan Buddhism. It could be some passage I read from the Necronomicon. Like, no, it's cool because there's these weird demons with these names. And he goes, why would you want to summon any of those? I said, good point. They're kind of scary. And I stopped reading that, you know. And we would just talk about all sorts of random things. And so, you know, he would also take me on, on little trips he was going on, you know, fishing. And then he was also doing this handyman stuff uh, as, as a side project, you know, he was a police officer, but he would also go and do these odd jobs. And he'd take me with him, and I would sit in the truck, and at the time he had a stick shift, and he'd let me shift for him while he was driving, and that was a lot of fun too. And I think those, those are some of the ways that someone can be a good dad without realizing that those are the moments you take away. You know, because these are really small things in, in the moment. Like, he's just like, yeah, go ahead, shift the car. It's not a big deal. All right, two, three, great, good job. But for me, it just, I don't know, I, I got to feel like an adult. I got to feel like I was being taken seriously. Because we were on the freeway. It's not like we were on some slow road. He's just like, go ahead, shift now. I got it, Dad. You know, and it, it was just really fun. So um, to add some more structure to it, I think now I'll, I'll get into this, into this particular sutta. And uh, I like this one for, for two reasons, um, because it says something about being a parent, but also because it says something about being a child. And together it talks about the reciprocal relationship of parent and child, which sometimes we forget about. We'll often talk about how important a parent is, but we, we often, in the West at least, don't talk about how important it is to be a good parent child to be a good son or daughter or or anything like that so this is uh from the sigalaka sutta and this one the buddha comes across a young man named sigalaka who's at the time 
worshiping and honoring the six directions, you know, the, the four cardinal directions and then above and, and below him. And he's just kind of going through the motions of, of, of making these, these offerings and gestures. And, and the Buddha asks about it. And, and the man says, well, you know, my, my father, you know, before he passed away, told me to, to do these things. And so I'm just upholding this tradition that he handed down to me. And the Buddha says, well, that's, that's good, but there might be another way of, of, of honoring these six directions. And then he starts talking about the relationships we have to people. And in, in this way, the East are the relationships we have with our parents. And in the, the South, uh, you know, the relationship we have with our teachers. And the West, the relationship we have with our spouses. And, you know, above we have like the sadhus and, uh, and various ascetics. And below we have various servants who might work for us, employees. And at the time of the Buddha, that also might have included some slaves. And in the East, he, he talks about what a, a good son will, will do. And I think it works for both a, a son or a daughter or a, a child. Uh, there are five ways in which a son should minister to his mother and father as the Eastern direction. He should think, having been supported by them, I will support them. I will perform their duties for them. I will keep up the family tradition. I will be worthy of my heritage. After my parents' deaths, I will distribute gifts on their behalf. And there are five ways in which the parents, so ministered by their son as the Eastern direction, will reciprocate. They will restrain him from evil, support him in doing good, teach him some skill, find him a suitable wife, and in due time, hand over his inheritance to him. In this way, the eastern direction is covered, making it at peace and free from fear. So the, the stories I was sharing earlier, I think was, in my eyes, a very good way for my father to make sure I wasn't getting up to any mischief. I got to read really interesting books and have a really colorful imagination. I got to feel like I could explore and have fun in a safe environment. And I always felt like I could actually go to my parents and talk to them about these things and be taken seriously. And this continued all throughout my adolescence as well. You know, they, they allowed me to explore religion, which for a lot of people, that's not what they get to have. They're often told what religion they will be or won't be until they're of age and they can move out and make up those choices for themselves. But all along the way, I, I was allowed to explore. When I was uh, 17, I, I was very interested in, in Druidism, and there was a, there was a group in the, in the United States, uh, ADF, that I wanted to join. And at that time, I was just a few months, I think, from being 18, and I could have just done it myself and... It wouldn't have mattered, but I, I couldn't wait. I was impatient, and I wanted to be a part of this religious group that my parents really knew, knew nothing about. And to join at 17 when you don't have parents that are already members, you gotta have to go, you have to go through a process where you have to get a notary to sign stuff and stamp and the whole thing. And when I asked, my parents just said, all right, fine, if that's what you want to do, and they did it, you know. And there's a, there's a lot of uh, freedom there. And I was, I was able to be guided 
towards what was good and what was bad, but not dictated to, not told what was good and what was bad. And they were there to catch me when I made mistakes. And as a teenager, I, I definitely did. Uh, and that was around the time that uh, I thought various rules might be arbitrary, like curfews, you know. And the thing is, when you have parents that are cops, uh, they're really good at finding you when you decide to miss curfew. And uh, I remember one time, I think I was a freshman in high school, and this really pretty girl and her mom offered me a, a ride home. And I thought, all right, that's, that's fine. That should be okay. Even though I was told to never take rides from anyone, I was just supposed to walk home and that was it. And uh, I decided, you know, they're not going to know. I'll even get home early. No big deal. Uh, the car breaks down. <laughs> and uh, I don't know anything about cars. And I, I'm there with, with two women who assume I must know something about cars. You're a guy. You know stuff, right? And I said, no, I know nothing. And I didn't even have AAA. And they didn't. So we were just sort of stuck there with a broken car. And uh, I think at some point they, they managed to get hold of a friend who was going to come by and and help them get their, their car fixed. But while we were waiting for that, and I mean, I wasn't even on a street that I walk home. Like, I was off on some other street. I mean, I can't, I don't know how my dad found me, but he did. And this was hours after I was supposed to be home because I think I even might have uh, decided I was going to hang out. And I could have walked home from where I was, but I decided I'm going to wait. I'm going to be here with this really cute girl. We're sitting on the grass and talking, and I'd rather be here than home. But I see my dad drive up in his truck and he looks at me. He doesn't really ask what the situation is. He just looks at me and he says, uh, get in. You got it, dad. I'm going to be in the car right now. <laughs> and, uh, and so we, we, we drove home and I, I think I, I probably had it out with my parents a little bit because I felt like they couldn't really understand what, what I thought was okay. But now that I'm older, I see it from their perspective, which is our son is usually home at such a time, and it is two, maybe three hours later. It's getting kind of late. Uh, we're worried we're going to find him, right? And uh, it was really a kind of, of thoughtlessness on, on my part to not really consider their feelings. And when you're a teenager, it's, it's really hard to think about anyone's feelings but your own. No other feelings really seem real. Uh, Unfortunately, I, I didn't take away that lesson then. I just thought my parents were mean, you know. Now I look back and I'm, I'm mortified. Uh, I even think about some of the other things that good parents are supposed to do, like, like help you find a spouse. And we don't really live in a country or a time uh, where there are uh, that many arranged marriages. Uh, there might be a, a few here and there uh, over the United States, but culturally we don't really have that. But I will say that my, my parents were pretty supportive in terms of, of me uh, dating. They were supportive definitely when I, I did find uh, the woman who is now my wife. But I, I think back to the things that my dad would actually do for me as a teenager. And uh, when I was about 16, I, I had a girlfriend that I thought we were just so serious. I thought it was, it was love and, and everything. We're going to get married someday. And I wanted to take her out on a nice date, but I, I couldn't drive and, and neither could she. And so I wanted to take her to this uh, dinner and magic show that they had at Universal City Walk. It was, I think it's called Wizards. So I don't think it's there anymore. 
And so I wanted to go there and, and have the dinner and everything. And I think my parents must have paid because it's not like I had money. And uh, we needed a ride there. And that's not so bad. You know, we had a really big car. I think at that point, my parents had an excursion, this giant car. So my girlfriend and I sat in the back. And, and that wasn't so bad. I mean, my dad having to play chauffeur, I think parents have to do that from time to time. I think what especially mortified me, though, was when my girlfriend came out with these presents, this basket just filled with all sorts of cute gifts, including a CD of, like, really romantic music that she'd made as a mix. And then she turns to my dad while I'm just completely turning pale and says, Can you play this for us now? And my dad, without uh, so much as a flinch or anything, says, You got it, and puts it in. So there we are, being serenaded by really romantic love ballads, sitting in the back of my dad's car, and he is just so stoically watching the road. Just, you guys have a good time. And, and I, I look back now, and I, I mean, even then, I was, I was pretty, pretty mortified, but especially now. And you know what? He never said anything about it. He didn't ever tease me. And with some of the songs on that CD, he really should have. I mean, I, I would have. Uh, and yet he, he really was just, in that way, a really cool dad. You know, he, he drove us and, and was our chauffeur. And then on the way back, we, we even wanted to take a walk around a park. And he really did just stop. And like, I mean, he'd make the best Uber driver these days, guys. I mean, I swear, like he's, he's, he'd already do it. He, could, he did it back then. And so, oh, <laughs> so this time I've, I've been telling a lot of stories. I just got my, my five-minute warning. So I, I hope the stories were, were entertaining and, and in some way reflective of the kind of upbringing I've had. You know, I, I'm not a father myself, so on Father's Day, I really can't tell stories about what it's like to be a father. I can only really tell stories about what it's like to be a son. And I feel really fortunate that I've had the father I've had from age seven onward. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'll tidy this up with a bow, I think, by, by also saying that in the West, we often think about the, the Buddha as this great teacher, but we often don't think about him as a father. And he was. And because of his choice to become an ascetic, he wasn't there for the first seven years of his child's life. The Buddha really became a father when his son was at the age of seven, and his son asked for his inheritance. The Buddha made him a monk, and they were monks together. And in the suttas, there are stories of the Buddha giving teachings specifically to his son, and teaching him those same things, how to avoid evil, how to be good, and, and how to be in the world, and how to accumulate wisdom. And so if having a father uh, from the age of seven onward was good enough for Rahula, certainly seems good enough for me. So those are, are my thoughts for, for Father's Day. And if I spoke at length, I, I apologize. It's only because I have so many fond memories. Thank you.